marketplaces like Amazon are not e-commerce stores. Or, so says our next guest, Brian Bowman. He also talks about the first steps to moving off of a marketplace like Amazon. He talks about the five propositions you have to know to start an e-commerce store. All sorts of other golden nuggets in this episode. Stay tuned. This episode of AMPM Podcast. Hi, I'm Tim Jordan. And in every corner of the world, entrepreneurship is growing. So join me as I explore the stories of successes and failures. Listen in as I chat with the risk takers, the adventurous, and the entrepreneurial veterans. We all have a dream of living a life fulfilling our passions, and we want a business that doesn't make us punch a time clock, but instead runs around the clock in the AM and the PM. So get motivated, get inspired. You're listening to the AM PM podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of AM PM podcast. We're talking about all things e commerce today, not specifically Amazon. In fact, we're going to talk about non-Amazon ideas, maybe influence, psychology, and Brian Bowman is our guest today who has a lot of experience in e-commerce from Amazon, not Amazon, and he's going to beat up on Amazon a little bit. He's going to explain to us about his journey of you know working nine to five to turning into you know flipping stuff as a side hustle to selling on Amazon and then moving on. And in this episode, we're going to talk about some things like the first steps to moving into a more traditional and maybe a little bit more complex selling system, the upsides to it, why it's valuable, and uh, and kind of a roadmap for those few those few processes that Ryan suggests is kind of, like I said, your first step. So, Ryan, thanks for being on. I've already pretty much ruined the entire episode by giving away all the secrets what we're going to talk about, but what else do we want to talk about today? Yeah, yeah, we can, we can uh, I think it's a great thing to talk about. I think um, I can share kind of what I've gathered after not only going through the transition uh, myself from being a purely, you know, Amazon dependent seller um, to being a more diversified seller and have and being off Amazon to now coaching like literally hundreds of people through that process. Um, and just some of the things that we've picked up on, a lot of it is very tactical, but I think that to really have success in business in general, we have to break it down into sort of like three steps. There's the there's the tactical piece, right? Like show me what to do. Like what exactly do I click on? What do I say? You know, how do I run the ad? Uh, what do I sell? Like that stuff. But above that, there's the strategy. And even before the strategy, it's the principle. It's why. Like, why do you want to diversify? Uh, Amazon yeah. is an incredible platform. Um, it might be perfect for someone going off might be absolutely a horrible idea, right? So let's make sure we've got the why set, the real principle. That'll dictate what's the best strategy for you, for your business, for the future that you know your listener wants. And then that strategy will tell you tactically, all right, this is going to be perfect for you. So um, yeah, I'm excited, excited to talk about it. All right. So before we get there, let's back up to what, 10 or 12 years ago, you're working a nine to five job and you were first introduced to e-commerce through what you called like flipping. So talk about yeah. that for, for just a second. Kind of give us the, like, the birth of Brian Bowman, the e-commerce guy. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. So um, I mean, I've always been like, I guess, you know, an entrepreneur or, you know, I, I grew up with parents that were entrepreneurs. So I, I had started, I had started a little uh, business, a brick and mortar business on document management, um, did that, then went back. I, I played professional golf for five years, um, got injured, had to go back to school. When I went back to school, I was, I was kind of at this place where I was like, all right, I've spent my Wait, life doing the thing. Time that out. I had to process that for a second of all the sports that people play and get injuries. <laughs> you got a a professional athletic, you know, career ending injury playing golf. Yeah, man. How yeah, does golf. that even happen? 
Yeah, yeah, it happens happens a lot. It's uh because it's uh so repetitive. You're you're in the oh. same position, moving the same way every time. So a lot of it is you know a disbalance in the body. Like one side of the body gets stronger than the other, and it's like your shoulder is in the same spot, the same yeah. spot, the same spot. Yeah. That story's not nearly as good as it could have been. I was hoping you'd go more with like the happy Gilmore. Oh, I hit yeah, my like, ball, then- like I hit my ball in a pond and like this alligator, like bit my foot off or something. So next yeah, time I would yeah. go with that. But so, all right. So professional golfer went to school, yeah. nine to five job. And, and I played on the mini tours. I always want to clarify that because people always be like, did you play with Tiger Woods? Like, no, I, um, the mini tours are like the equivalent of like triple a baseball. You're like, this is really like, this good, is like but Bush you're- league golf. Like you're a pro, yeah, you're- but you're not like, <laughs> you're not racing Talladega on Sundays. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, you're really good, but you're dead broke. Like you have no money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Got it. So, um, so anyway, so I had to make a decision. Honestly, for me, it was this moment where I was like, all right, I've, I've followed my heart. I followed my passion. Now I have to do what I was like meant to do get a job. And, you know, it, it was a good run kind of thing. Um, went back to school, got my, got my degree, became a consulting actuary. Most people don't know what an actuary is. Um, super like nerdy job using math and statistics, but I learned a lot. And I will say because of the kind of having that numbers background that did give me a competitive edge in e-commerce. It gave me an edge in business. I still think that if more business people could make database decisions instead of emotional ones, they'll be better off for it in the long run. Um, but so I, I was working my nine to five and um, working crazy hours as a consultant. And I was like, you know, I, we, we have to do something else. Like that entrepreneur spirit was in me and I could not imagine 40 years uh, you know, of me just doing this, even if it was the right thing to do by whatever society, by whatever measure society has. Um, so we were flipping stuff on the side. Like I had started literally flipping like textbooks, um, I would go to the Goodwill and find electric razors and would buy them for five bucks and would flip them for like 50 or 55. Like used crazy. electric razors? Used electric razors. And I would put on there, they were used. I oh would my take gosh, photos. that sounds so disgusting. It's disgusting. Oh, <laughs> oh man. It's so nasty. So, so, but whatever, <laughs> people were buying them. Hey, that's another lesson. You are not your buyer. That's so, true. Whatever, whatever, you know, if you're listening, you're like, no one would buy this. Hey, you let the market decide if yep. they're going to buy. Um, so, uh, yeah, and we're not marketing to us. We're marketing to our buyers. Exactly, so keep that in exactly. Mind. So anyway, so I did that and we started flipping furniture. That's when we started making some like some really good money. Like my, uh, my wife has a really good eye for uh, like vintage furniture. Like she can walk into a house that has like some vintage pieces and she'll know like, oh yeah, that that'll sell for 500. That'll sell for a thousand. Like she just, she has an eye for it. So we would go to these estate sales. I got, I got like this pickup truck. Um, so I could, with a big enclosed trailer, please tell me you had like one of those giant enclosed trailers with like, you know, big wrap with your face on it. It just don't beat up big 1500 man, like extra, like 11, like 11 foot bed or something just so (laughs) I could throw everything in there. And anyway, we started doing that and we were making like some pretty decent, like side hustle money. Um, but anyway, that's that's sort of what really got me thinking like, wow, like this might be my ticket out of this nine to five and like the, the next 40 years of my life that has already sort of been defined for me, you know, by by this job. Um, so then we started. Yeah, I started figuring out, like, how do you how do you sell online? How do you get a how do you create your own private label brand? And Amazon, you know, this is like 2013 ish and uh, 2014. So. FBA was just starting to become a thing that people knew about, right? Like people were doing it, but 
there were podcasts talking about it. It was still the Wild West. Um, and that's when we got involved. And then, yeah, that's that's that, that's the journey. And then from there, we built up that brand. We started selling off Amazon. We went through everything that a lot of Amazon sellers go through, the suspensions. And that was scary. And, you know, for no fault of our own, it was like competitors doing real like yep. shady stuff. And um, that's what opened up our eyes to like, yeah, to, to what we had to do if we wanted this to be long term, we had to diversify off. So let's skip forward a little bit um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and kind of skip a few chapters. But I know uh, you told me off air that for about three years, you were selling exclusively on Amazon. That's it right. was just Amazon. It was your full-time gig. This is your, your bread and butter. And at some point you made this decision, hey, we want to get off Amazon. And this isn't uncommon. Like a lot of people want to get off of Amazon for different reasons. People want to expand. People don't like Amazon. There are a lot of products that are saturated on Amazon, but aren't saturated off Amazon. We especially saw this like recently in the COVID crisis. You know, Amazon had a month delay on shipping stuff. So people were jumping over to Shopify, running Facebook ads and blowing through products quick. So I don't really want to get into the reasons why, but what were some of the biggest struggles that you had when you know, you're looking at this roadmap, this game plan, like I'm on Amazon. Now I want to get off. Like what were some of the biggest hurdles in making those steps? And, and just to clarify, for those of you that aren't really familiar with e-commerce and Brian, I suspect you'll agree with this. There's a big difference between like e-commerce and marketplace selling. All right. Marketplace yeah, selling so something like Amazon, all of the infrastructure is there, all of the platform, the financial pieces, and most importantly, the audience. You throw something up there and they have 270 million people, you know, coming to Amazon US. When you start a, an off platform, so off Amazon, off Walmart, off eBay, an off platform, you know, e-commerce store, nobody knows it's there. It could sure. be the greatest product in the world, but it's floating around with no eyeballs on it. So you actually have to start putting together some of those attributes that the marketplaces had, like the traffic and like the infrastructure and like the logistics and the SEO and all that. So uh, I just wanted to explain that briefly. So when you were looking at that, what were some of the biggest hurdles, Brian, that you knew you would have to overcome in making that transition away from Amazon? That's that's a perfect question, man. That I mean, so um, and this is what day in and day out I do is is helping make that shift if it's for the right person, and that's key. If it's for the right person and the right brand, like the right products. I'm so glad you said shift. that. Yep. Because everybody thinks there's this hierarchy and everybody has to progress. Like everybody exactly. has to leave marketplaces. And that's not always true. It is not the truth. And and you would think I'd be the one to say it's the greatest opportunity. Listen, it is not right for a lot of people. It really isn't. Um, number one is going to be, let's let's put the, the product line aside because there's a whole set of sort of conditions and things that have to be satisfied on the product. Yeah. Let's talk about the entrepreneur, the, the person. Um, there is a paradigm shift of what your focus becomes. When you are on a marketplace, it is product first, person second. And what I mean by that is it is about the product. Even look at how people find what they're going to sell, right? They look at like BSR and they look at, you know, products that are saturated and they have plugins that tell them estimated sales. It is all about the product, the product, the product, the product, right? So you go, you get in the middle, like you try to put yourself in the, in like there's a, there's a horde of people coming and you're just trying to stand in, the, you know, you're trying to like be in their, in their way. Right. So they see you. Um, and I'm not saying that we don't focus on the product off of a marketplace, but it is so product centric. The person is like, oh yeah, right. Someone buys this. Let's put in some bullet points that explains how it works or whatever. When you're going to go outside of a marketplace, like you said, you don't have all those people coming to you you know, those 270 some thousand people every second or whatever it is, you know, millions of people, 
they don't, you're, no one knows who you are. So it's person first, a hundred percent. It's the person it's what are the, what's the desire that the person has? What is it that they want? Where are they? Where are they congregating? Can you get access to them? It's about the person, their, their hopes, their dreams, their desires. Why do they want the product? Like the why behind it. Then you focus on the product. And I'm not saying that the product can be mediocre. It has to be an, an extraordinary product, but it's about the person first. Um, and, and we can unpack this way more. I would love to, because uh, I can tell you universally what I've seen works and doesn't work. Um, yep. And yeah, it, I, I can pick it out of a crowd now. Like I can see a brand be like, that has almost no chance of working <laughs> like outside <laughs> of a marketplace and that will crush. So what are those things? Like if I showed you 10 products right now, what are the things that you're looking at that will say, this is good for off Amazon, this is good for Amazon? Yeah, so anything that in general, um, if we're going to say that it's, I guess if it's very, very commoditized, is going to have a really, really hard time selling outside of a marketplace because they're, one, it's a commodity and it's highly commoditized. People want to, you know, they search for, um, you know, a pen or whatever. Unless you are a like a, a high, high end, high brand, there's a story behind this pen. It's like, I just need a pack of pens. So, you know, anything kind of along those lines can be very difficult unless there's a great story behind the brand, right? Yep. Of the owner, of what they went through. And you can start building a tribe. And even then, I'll tell you, that is super hard to do. Yep. Um, so that almost is like a lot of times it's kind of dead in the water. Um, and I'm not saying it doesn't work. We definitely have had people that have had success, but it's going to be a lot harder than, let's say, a home decor line that has it's very a, specialized um, and unique and like yeah, it, it exactly. captures it's, people attention with Pinterest ads and like exactly and yeah. then the, the story behind the founder and like why they started this and maybe there's a bigger cause behind it we call it a mission-based USP um, every every brand has five propositions that they must define and everyone knows the unique selling proposition there's actually four other ones that are really important but the main one is the unique selling proposition all right it's, what are those other four let's let's like just dive down there <laughs> The other four. So you got five propositions in a brand. You have your unique selling proposition. Why should I choose to do business with you? Why should I, the prospect, choose to do business with you given all this other, all the other options to me available in the marketplace? If you can't clearly define that, you're like dead in the water because the barrier to entry has never been lower than ever. It used to, it used to be hard to start a brand. Now with a credit card, you know, in your mom's basement, right? Like someone can open up a store and bam, they've got a brand, quote unquote. So the barrier to entry has never been lower, but the good news for you, you know, for your listener is the pull of sameness is what kind of we call it is it, it doesn't take, you know, like Warren Buffett says, take the high road. It's less crowded. Um, it doesn't take much to separate yourself from what everyone's doing, right? That pull of sameness and differentiating yourself. So answer that question. Why should I do business with you? The other four are your unique value proposition. Um, you know, how is your product or whatever you put together as like an offer more valuable than the sum of its individual parts? And how are you going to help me get a result faster? Like ultimately what I desire to have, how are you going to make it more convenient? Is there some status in owning your product? Um, that's how you raise value. One of the fastest ways to raise value is intangible things like status, bragging rights, speed, convenience um, to the end result. Uh, the third is an irresistible offer. You have to have a great offer or else you get kind of lost in that, that sameness. A unique experience proposition. I think that 
of all the propositions, this is the one that's most, um, how, how do I put it? It's the one that you can most easily leverage because nobody thinks about it. Um, this is one of the things we cover in our, so we have, we have something called the e-commerce challenge and we talk about the unique experience proposition because your emails, for example, are a touch point that most brands totally overlook. It's just like, oh, they blast out some emails, you buy their product. Yeah, you get a confirmation and, and a shipping, you know, shipping uh, confirmation number, but that's it. Our post-purchase emails that we show our, you know, our members of our, of our program are like deep. Like they're like 14, 15 emails deep. They go on for 30 days and it's an experience. We, we want to provide an exceptional experience for our customers. That's how we build up um, a bond and obviously higher lifetime value. And then the last is unique safety proposition. So that's your fifth one. Unique safety is, you know, somebody's got to take the risk in the transaction and it better not be uh, your buyer. So that's where you get the guarantees, you know, risk reversals, risk reversals, yeah, plus, warranties, money back guarantees, all that exactly. Stuff. Got um, it. So those are the five. I think. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> all right. So that that was a good rabbit trail to run down though, because because a lot of times, like we know those are there, but we forget to make a checklist of them, right? So the yeah. irresistible offer, for example, like we sometimes think that whether we're selling it on a marketplace or off a marketplace, whatever. Like as long as our price is good, that's great. But if we're not throwing in like a Hey, I can't say no to this. Like you can't afford to turn down this offer. Like it doesn't matter. Right. And, and a lot of time, and there's a lot of ways to do that we won't go down that rabbit trail right now, but it's interesting because, because, you know, I learn a lot doing these things and, and I'm here making notes. Literally I'm making notes for a brand that I'm launching right now. I'm like, Oh crap, I forgot about that. I got to go and do this. So yeah, so yeah. that's really good information. All right. So, so we talked a little bit about like some of the biggest hurdles, you know, looking to an Amazon seller, marketplace seller migrating off that marketplace. So once they've kind of assessed the hurdles, they've determined that, hey, I can do this. Like my product should work. You know, we, we kind of glazed over that. What are the first steps you tell people? Like, hey, it's time to get out of the booster seat, you know, and, and like actually put on your big girl panties and start walking. Like what are the steps, those first steps they have to take like in this, you know, migration to a more traditional e-commerce scenario? And time out. Let me say this. Sometimes I say things and realize it sound really bad. <laughs> when I say get out of the booster seat, I don't necessarily mean like you're a child if you're selling on Amazon. That's not what I mean. Yeah, but like yeah. the, the, the progression of like, all right, I'm an immature off marketplace seller. Like I've got to start like progressing and maturing as an off marketplace seller. Just want to say that because I know I'm going to have like 500 social media trolls blasting <laughs> me. Like, Are you saying I'm a little baby if I sell on Amazon? No, that's not what I'm saying. But all right, continue. No, no, so not at all. Not at all. In fact, you can, you know, I know we, we know plenty of stuff. Like I know tons of sellers that are, they're making incredible amounts and it's a, it's yeah. a great business and they're doing well. They exit. I mean, you can sell it. It's, it's a great, um, I think that it, you just have to see, uh, my, my dad used to say, no matter how thin the pancake, there's always two sides. So just be aware of the other side. That's all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And all right. So we're looking at this other side. We're going to take those first steps. What are those first steps? Yeah. So the first step is, yeah, check those boxes, make sure like, all right, and we'll never know for sure. So there is no definitive, yes, this is going to crush off Amazon or off the marketplace, yeah. whatever marketplace it is. But, you know, we realize, hey, there's, you know, we, we, we've answered some of these propositions. We know how we can give a great experience. We have a unique, there's a uniqueness to our product and we've got a good story. Let, let's test it. Number one is don't feel like you're abandoning Amazon. Amazon is what's in a lot of ways going to, or, or the marketplace, in a lot of ways it's going to it's going to fund that expansion. Yes. Um, the first thing to do is figure out your 80-20. So 
Pareto principle, 20% of your efforts will lead to 80% of your results. Um, we find this in business, in nature, it's, it's everywhere. And a lot of times it can be even more extreme. There can be, you know, 95, five, um, and we're just like this small bit of what you have is actually producing all the, all the, um, output. So in your product line, get clear on what is your driver of sales? Like what is your main product? And, and what I'm saying is, I'm thinking ahead for your listener. Let's say you're going to run ads because you're going to have to get traction or you're going to have to partner with influencers. Like you're going to have to find a way to get attention onto your product. If you have something that's working, chances are on a marketplace, nine times out of 10, that's going to be the thing that's going to work off the marketplace. So identify that thing first. So what, what's something that works for getting eyes on it on Amazon that we would now take and, and use that same eyeball gathering approach off Amazon. Give me an example. Yeah. So for me, you know, everyone has their, I, I try as much as possible to not be the, you know, the guy with the hammer where everything's a nail. And, um, I know there's a lot of ways to drive traffic. I will tell you what I, what I'm not. Um, I am not the SEO guy. Like I, we do it a little bit, but it's not the thing that I know how to do. Um, yeah. I am a turn paid ads into profit guy. Like that's yeah. we're I'm trying to find dollars at a discount. Um, so if, if, and, and running ads is like step five, like first we have to get, let's get a basic store in place. Um, there's some basic set, you know, basic things we need, some basic conversion assets, make sure we have a decent product page. Um, I wouldn't, here's a, here's a tip that I would share with all your, all your listeners before you run ads, get a basic video made on your product pages. Like I can't tell you the difference it makes to have a video, uh, conversion asset on your product pages. So we want to give it the best chance it can to, um, to, to convert. So we have, we have our, we have our store, we have a decent, you know, decent theme. We, we kind of put our products up there. We are going to start focusing if, again, this is our methodology. We're going to start with paid ads, probably going to start on Facebook and Instagram, right? Same platform. And we're going to focus on that main product, that, that 80, 20 product, that 90, 10 product. And we're going to drive the traffic to the site, to the product page. And we have a thing called the essential funnel and we won't get into all of it today, but there are definitely uh, things you want to have in place from your content to your product pages, to your cart, to your checkout, beyond the checkout. What do your email sequences look like? Recapturing, uh, you know, capturing, um, uh, you know, customer information. Like there is definitely a whole process, but I will tell you that where we start is we get the traffic going to that product page first with that number one seller. That's like your starting point. And, um, and I would recommend, you know, again, get some basic when, you, when people start running ads, they freak out. Cause they're like, oh man, like I'm going to spend a hundred dollars or $500 or a thousand bucks. Think of that as like intelligence gathering. You are buying information so that you can have a clue as to who is interested in your product. So you're going to test audiences. You're going to test different images. You're going to test create, you know, different ad copy. And think of it as an investment into data, which is going to allow you to make a better decision going forward. Okay, got it. So you're talking about making that first step, you know, setting up a website, setting up a funnel. I have to ask you, is Shopify the answer? So we have sellers that are doing like, they're doing extremely well, like six figures, multiple six figures a month on Shopify. We got sellers on big commerce. We have a um, few people on WooCommerce. Um, I will say most of them are on Shopify. Shopify, here's the thing. Is it the answer? No, it's a tool. And that's the one thing that if I was 
if I could just blast this out to everyone, it's not the sexy thing to say. And the founders of these <laughs> companies may not like me saying it, but yeah. here's the deal. These are all tools, guys um, and, and gals. Um, they're just tools. And they still require your brilliance behind them or your team's brilliance. Um, you got to, you know, they're, they're going to help you do it a lot easier. You know, it used to be that if you could, building a store literally was not that long ago was a competitive advantage. It was a, yeah, I guess it was a nightmare because you yeah. had to know all the plugins. You had to know how to build a WordPress site or whatever it was. Exactly. Like, it was terrible. And yeah, Shopify may not be very robust. There's some downfalls to it. But essentially, for all intents and purposes, for argument's sake, if I have a credit card number, I can have a Shopify store running in less than an hour. And one thing I would say is just keep in mind like what makes Shopify so good. And again, I I a lot of platforms will work. We we like Shopify because of the back end. The back end is very, very clean. Remember, taking a payment is the easiest part of a transaction. Um that's that's the easy part. It's what happens on the back end, refunds, returns, shipping, confirmations, like uh, you know, product like hierarchy, promotions, like all the stuff on the back end, that's the, that's the complex part that can get messy. And that's what Shopify, in my experience, does better than anyone else. Now, as an acquisition tool to get new customers, there's a lot of things that we, that we use. We use Shopify, we use, you know, we use funnels, like we use ClickFunnels. We use a lot of different things. But in terms of an e-commerce store, as like your hub, I would, if I had to pick one, you know, if you forced me to, I would probably pick Shopify as your, as your storefront. Um, uh, online. Gotcha. So there's always exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, yep. you know, that's the first place you would point people to look at. All right. I would. Yeah. By the way, I don't want anyone to feel like you have to switch. Cause I, I run into that all the time. They're like, Oh, I'm on, I'm on WooCommerce. Does that mean I can't do it? No, but you're good. Just keep, keep going. Yeah. Basically all the functions create the same, you know, like, uh, like actions. They're just, they're just organized a little bit differently. We'll say. All right. So you've got somebody that has looked at their, their baby steps to moving away from Amazon. They've looked at their, their USP. They've looked at, you know, is this product going to work? And they decide to start making that plunge. You've helped and seen a lot of people do this. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that these people that have decided to make this, this journey have when it comes to migrating away from a marketplace? It's when, when we start on marketplaces, whoo, we're, we're spoiled. <laughs> we are spoiled. You'd like, you throw the product up there and the next day you're like, what? I'm selling. This is awesome. I'm making money. Um, that's, that's one of the biggest hurdles. It's, it, if you notice a lot of it's psychological, it really is. It's having the mindset that, um, there's advantages to being off a marketplace, but there's challenges. There's challenges and advantages of being on the marketplace. That's one of the biggest ones is you will most likely not just start making sales the minute you turn on that ad. And that's why I was I made that point before about, we, we call it the ad money mindset, is knowing that that first 500 to maybe a thousand bucks, you may or may not make sales. And if you do, they probably won't be profitable. Um, they'll probably be actually, you know, it happens. We, we've definitely turned on ads and bam, it works. But that is not normal by any stretch of the imagination. So I think it's a mindset that, all right, I'm in this thing for the long haul because it can be so easy to go back to what's comfortable, which is the marketplace, right? And that's usually the challenge is as you start to scale, it's trying to find the balance of how much do we dedicate to the, to the store versus the marketplace. And that, that is like, it's a, good, it's a good challenge to have, but it definitely is a, a, a point that people have to question and, and make a decision in their business. Um, but number one is that, Tim, is, is 
you know, realizing that you're not going to make sales right away. And that's okay. That makes you absolutely in the majority. And a lot of multi-million dollar businesses have been built on 1% conversion rates, 2% conversion rates, and lots of no sales at the beginning. And we've talked a lot about how difficult this is. Like, like, you know, you just said it, I'm quoting you. We're spoiled on marketplaces. You know, it's easy. <laughs> We're getting sales. You know, if you move off of marketplace to a store, now you've got to drive your traffic. You've got to settle just like we've made it sound tough, but what are some of the upsides of doing it? Like why, why did you decide, Hey, this is going to be a lot of work, but it's worth it. And why do you encourage people to look and, and honestly evaluate if this is a good option for them? Obviously, there's there's some sort of advantage to it. And I have some ideas, but I'd like to hear kind of hear your list. Yeah, I think one of the, you know, the low hanging fruit when it comes to marketplace is they own everything. I mean, at the end of the day, they they own the customer. They own the, you know, I can make a strong case. They own the brand. They own everything. Yeah, let me get on my soapbox. One of the things that pisses me off the most is entitlement, and and I see that all the time with marketplaces where people get pissed off about something. Amazon shut my listing down. You know, this person is on my listing. This person copied my ASIN. You know, Amazon allowed a return from my customer. They shouldn't have. Yeah. Guys, that's bull crap. None of it's yours. It's not your listing. It's not your ASIN. It's not your customer. None of that stuff. You, you are not entitled to own those things. Amazon is basically letting you put your product, but that's it. Aside from that, it's not yours. And yep. look, I sell on Amazon. I love Amazon. It's great. Yada, yada, yada. But, but just, just, you kind of fired me up there talking about that. Like, <laughs> and, and, and I wish I could get this through some people's thick skulls. Cause I see it all the time. You know, people getting pissed off. I can't believe, you know, Amazon did this and this and this, but it's theirs. It's their marketplace. You didn't have to build it. If you don't like it, go build your next Amazon. But all right. So continue. That's right. Sorry. That's right. And, and that goes back to what I was saying is like the principle, like if that's something that, you know, because tactically, you know, we could show you what to click on on the ads and how to build the store, but let's go up to the high level, which is the principle. Like, is it the right decision for you? If if that's something you feel, not, not you, Tim, but like if somebody feels or like, I, I want to actually have customers, right? There's a Dan Kennedy saying that a business without a mailing list, you know, back then there was no, it was no email yeah, list, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. A business without a mailing list is not a business. Now, you know, Dan kind of has a way of speaking to get you fired up. And some people say, well, no, my, you know, my business is a business, even though Amazon or whatever owns the customer. I, I don't want to argue that point, but there's, there's a, there is something true in that statement, right? That a business without a mailing list, without a customer list is not a business. So if that's like a thorn in your side, it's something that drives you nuts. Well, guess what? That's a really good reason to start considering building your marketplace. And that, that's what it was for us. It was like, it was this realization that we were beholden to someone else, our future, our livelihood, you know, we went through shutdowns, we went through suspensions, all that. It, it I wasn't working anymore. Like, this was my full-time gig. So it, 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 there was fear there, you know, and, and yeah. the best way to, the best way to predict the future is to create it. So if you want something else, you know, don't wish it was easier, just get better. You know, wish you were better. That's a Jim Rohn quote that I live by. Um, you know, don't wish it was easier, wish you were better. So figure it out. You go out there and do it because you want it. Yeah. So if I own a brand, I guess the example like of why you would, you would move to marketplace, we as Amazon sellers, we are selling a product in a grocery store. We're selling in a Walmart store. Imagine that. People walk into Walmart. They may pick your product up off the shelf, 
but they're checking out to Walmart. They're Walmart customers. They're not your customers. They're in Walmart's parking lot, Walmart's building. And if you've got a small brand, that's great. You wouldn't get that exposure, but you're still just selling to Walmart, right? But yep. I guess creating an, an e-commerce store would be the same as if we put ourselves in our own storefronts. You know, we, yeah, we put our, our own, own stand up inside the road, our own retail shop. Now those customers are yours. You have the customer information. You you have all of that stuff. So definitely yeah. huge advantages because now it's yours. Nobody kicks you off the shelf. You know, you, you either swim or drown on your own, which sometimes is scary, but it's great. But you do have your own customers. You do get to call the shots. And I think it raises the ceiling, you know, like, yeah. like the potential for growth is unlimited. We're on a marketplace. Like you said, every day you wake up, there could be some bot roaming the Amazon back end decided, oh, we're just going to shut this listing down. There's not a dead gun thing you can do about it, but fight it. Yeah. And, um, and just a couple of things I want to say to this too, is like, okay, so th that's the low hanging fruit, but, um, there's a few other things. I mean, there is a timing issue. Like right now, uh, we, you know, I'm, I told you, I'm a, I'm I used to be an actuary. I'm math and stats guy. I'm a data, just like nerd. I'm always looking at data. Something remarkable has happened, uh, with, with, you know, the, you know, just everything that's happened with the pandemic and, and how, how, how kind of the, the shifts that have happened in society. And we could have a whole other podcast. We could just talk about all the trends we're seeing and, and why I am absolutely, I am certain that we're not going to go back to what retail looked like um, because all we did was accelerate a trend. So my point is if, if you've been thinking about it, if you're listening to this and it checks all the boxes, my goodness, there's never been a better time in history. Like we're entering e-commerce 3.0 right now. The growth that we've seen with these small, no-name independent brands that have literally 10X'd overnight. Like I can show you graphs, charts. We're literally on March 13th. I mean, I can point to the spot on the, you could see it. It like is flat growth to this, like, I mean, the growth is 5, 10X'd. Um, it is a remarkable time. And there's so many reasons. It's, it's not just because of attention. It's, it's customer behavior. It's emotions are high. There's a way to connect now. Uh, there, people are giving small brands a chance. Um, but it drives me to, to my other point in terms of why I think it's incredible. There is nothing. If you are a brand owner, you're passionate about it. You actually want to serve your customers. To be When you get that email from your brand, like your customer, like, thank you so much. This was amazing. And you can email them. You could send whatever you want in an email. You could say whatever you want. No one's going to shut you down because of what you said. It is incredibly gratifying. Um, and just knowing, like you said, Tim, there's no, once you figure out, once you can start buying dollar bills for 50 cents, like it's, it's on, like we're going, we're going to start, we're, we're going to turn the, 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 the faucet on, you know, and overnight we can start scaling, scaling, scaling which is very hard to do in a marketplace because you're always kind of dependent on that traffic flow. You can run some ads, but it's a it's totally different than me being able to go out to 30 million people and put my product in front of them. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more, man. You got me fired up. I know, um, dude. <laughs> so I know we need to wrap this up, but you know, on this podcast, we don't we don't pitch stuff. We don't, you know, we try not to be overly promotional about stuff, but we also want to share value. So I want to uh, tell you guys, you listeners, about Brian's funnel. All right, let's talk about his sales funnel. We know that he does some coaching, some consulting, and I'm not endorsing it. I haven't been through it, none of that thing. <laughs> Tim Jordan, AM, PM podcast, Helium Tenor, none of its affiliates endorse this, but I do want to say this. Brian's a legit guy. I've known him for a while. I like his content. And he has a free 30-day e-commerce challenge that you guys can all be a part of. What's the domain you guys can go to there? 
or that they can go uh, yeah, to? Yeah, it's just all one word, no hyphens or anything, just ecommercechallenge.com. And it's like a 30-day get started e-commerce store challenge. It's free. And it's actually email marketing. So we're not even showing you how to get started. Um, it, it really is if, if you want to get what I believe is the foundation before you ever run ads, before you do anything else, to get your email marketing in place, still the highest ROI that we see um, when we compare it to other channels. We're going to give it all to you. It's totally free. And um, yeah. And, and you have a Facebook group. You have a website. It's e-commerce underground, right? Uh, yep, we got so Ecom Underground is our website. We have a we have a group and a podcast called Marketing for E-commerce. Um, you can check it all out. All right, cool. Thank you, Brian, for being on. I, I feel like thanks, Tim. You know, I, I'm making my notes and I'm writing down like all these tips that I'm going to apply to my own business, and also making notes like, oh, that was good. That was good. We need to get a quote off that. So, so thank you for being on. Really awesome. valuable. Those of you that are listening, please do us a favor. If this is valuable to you, uh, thumbs up this on YouTube. If you're watching it there. If you're listening in a podcast platform, leave us a review. We like to rank our products. We also like to rank our podcasts. And if you guys give us those reviews, that helps with that. And we want to hear feedback. Even if it's not good feedback, that's all right. Let us know. Not publicly. Send me a private message. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we do want to keep putting out content that you guys like and are learning from. And we're going to keep trying to do that. So so give us some feedback however you want to. And we'll, we'll definitely read all those messages and take them into consideration. Brian, thanks so much for being on. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you guys on the next episode of AMPM Podcast.